0: You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. This is MLB.com Extras, Chicago White Sox edition. I'm Anthony Kastervitz. Thanks for tuning in. We are joined by the fabulous Scott Merkin. And Merk, Chris Sale was pretty fabulous himself on Sunday against the crosstown rival Cubbies, 15 strikeouts.
1: Anthony Rizzo said he made us look silly.
0: Was that about as good as you've seen Chris
1: Sale? Yeah, I think that is an example of why, you know, the Sox hoping against hope at this point, if they get into the wild card playoff game, that they feel like they have a chance to advance. Because if you get Chris Sale on a day like that, where I think, you know, there was a little extra, even though Chris kind of played it down, but I think there's a little extra adrenaline going, playing the Cubs, uh, trying to avoid the sweep against the Cubs, trying not to lose in the season series against the Cubs. Plus, you know, the Sox need to legitimately win every possible game they can, <laughs> And there's a little extra, but I mean, you could tell in that first inning he was just, you know, pretty much beyond what had never been seen before, and that was pretty good. You know, this is a guy who went what eight straight games with double-digit strikeouts in a row. So, yeah, it was. There were some of the worst, and and you know, this is a Cubs team. This is not the Cubs team they faced the first time around. that couldn't hit it all. This is a Cubs team that you know had won nine in a row, had hit the ball well the first two games of the series, had had some key hits, and that winning streak against the Giants and the Brewers, and there were some of the worst swings I can honestly say I've seen in a long time against Chris Sale yesterday from good hitters like, you know, a guy like Chris Bryant or Anthony Rizzo. Chris DiNorfi at one point swung at a pitch that hit him in the foot, spun around and fell down and struck out because he swung at the pitch. So it was was just, you know, man against boys, and that's saying something because the Cubs were three and a half games ahead of it in a really good wild card race. You know, and it went eighteen games over five hundred. It was just it was Chris Sale's day and it makes sense. He's, you know, one of the best pitchers, probably, you know, top five pitchers in all the game right now.
0: He's got an outside chance and it's
1: perhaps very outside, but we haven't
0: had a three hundred strikeout season since uh since Kurt Schilling and the big unit in two thousand two with the D back. Um Sale could technically do it, although I guess missing that first turn through the rotation uh earlier this year, that doesn't
1: help. Oh, that pace at all? Yeah, you know, it's a. I, he would have to have a lot of games like this one, and um, let's see. I think he's at this year. That's, I mean, that's, that's right. That's no, true. That's true. But I mean, he's at what two hundred eight right now? I think two hundred eight, and what's he have? Maybe what do they have? Forty some games left. So yeah, I, you know, I guess it's it's possible. I guess you're right. It is. It is. If he's if he's like. If he's not like this, but close to this every time he could get up there. I, I would think it's more likely going to finish in the 280 or 290 range. Either way, I yeah. think he's going to end up setting the franchise record. And, and you know, it, it, 300 is, is is an outside chance. So there's no question about it. Yeah,
0: he had that eight start stretch earlier this year where he struck out 97 guys in 60 innings. So just do that again. That's all you got to do, Chris. Come on, man. Help us <laughs> out here. We're trying to see history here.
1: Like, um, like your,
0: your days in Little League, right? That's how you were when you were playing. Oh, absolutely. Together. No, I was I was uh, playing left out. I think I was DHing even oh, okay. then. Um, Merck, Jose Quintana, he's, over the last two years, 15 and 21, but with a 3.45 ERA. So he's almost the poster boy of the, uh, the kill the win movement, I guess, uh, with that record.
1: You know, he's kind of the def. I think if you had to define him, it would be Jose Quintana, quality starter. You know, I mean, he's. I think he's only gone. You know, one complete game in his career, but you know, every time out, you're going to get seven innings, anywhere from two. You know, one to maybe four runs, usually in that two to three range, seven or eight strikeouts, and give you a chance to win. You know, he, and the funny thing is, not funny. The interesting thing is, very highly respected kid in that clubhouse, almost from the day he came up there. I remember Adam Dunn who has since gone on to bigger and better things. I don't know bigger and better, but different things. Just out of the blue one day when we were talking, pointing to Quintana and tell me how much he liked that kid. And I remember Canerco, when he played his last game last year, Quintana was pitching, stopped at the mound and hugged Quintana. And Robin loves the kid. And, I mean, it's understandably so, because he leads the majors since 2012 with, I want to say, 47 no decisions. Yeah. And there are quite a few other losses where he had, you know, two or three runs allowed such as the game Saturday against Jake Arrieta and the Cubs. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting situation for the Sox because he's a great guy to have. He's under control. You put him with Sale and Rodon and then one more year of Danks and whoever you know, whether it's Samarja back or whether it's Carson Fulmer or whether it's someone else. Or, you know, he's also probably their most realistic, biggest trade chip that could maybe help you fill another area or two. So, yeah, he, he was a great find. The scouts who found him from the Yankee system deserve a ton of credit, and the Sox deserve credit for helping develop. Most of all, Quintana deserves credit though, for becoming really a, you know, a front-line type starter.
0: I want to ask you about uh, two position players here, Merck. want to dig into two guys. And the first, uh, Trace Thompson. He stayed on the roster when J.B. Shuck came back, and they that bumped Emilio Bonifacio, uh, the uh, Bonifacio as super utility man, uh, signing for this season simply didn't work out uh, the way anyone hoped or expected. Uh, and, and Thompson, uh, it's only been a handful of games, but he's he's really shined uh, shined through uh, at the plate, in the field, what have you. Uh, I know that you know this is one of those uh, dual pronged uh, outlooks here. It, it's about development, and it's also about winning right now as well uh, with Trace Thompson. But but he really seems like he, he's opened some eyes in that organization this year.
1: Well, I think, you know, they knew what a quality kid he was to begin with. You know, he was talking about when he got called up, all the different text messages he got congratulating him and everything else. So, I mean, you know, the character was not a doubt, and I don't think the ability was, it just, he just goes to show, I think he came in in 09, that sometimes guys take a year or two or four or five to get there. And, you know, he's a great defensive outfielder, he's got good speed, and he's hit the ball well, granted, in a small sample size and 12 at bats, but... Be honest. He also guards against, not guards against, but helps you against left-handed pitchers. Where Adam LaRoche right now is probably not going to see a lot of at bats because he's just not hitting. You know, so it's probably going to be LaRoche for the most part against righties and Thompson against lefties with Eaton or Cabrera or some, maybe even Avia game moving into the DH role and Thompson playing the outfield. I mean, you know, it may if Thompson really goes on a run, it may end up being him more full time. But I think it was interesting because Bonifacio was. Real popular guy in the clubhouse or across the board, and just they never seem to, you know, kind of, I don't want to say figure out, but find a way to use him properly. I, I think he's going to hook on somewhere. I think a, a, a playoff team would love to have a guy like that who can maybe pin Truddle. Like, he didn't do sure. very, he didn't have a really good run stealing bases, but play around the field and hit a little bit. But it, it just was a case where, you know, they wanted Trace was the better right handed bat, and they're, While they're still hoping to make up the four-and-a-half games on the Orioles or the four games on the Angels and get into the postseason, they're also looking at these guys like Thompson and Saladino and Sanchez and Rodon and seeing what they have going into next year as well.
0: Yeah, you just mentioned uh, the other guy I want to hone in on here, uh, Saladino, because he's another one who's making the stretch run here pretty interesting as far as the future outlook. and He'd only
1: played... How many games did he played at third base before he came to the big leagues? Only a handful, right? I think like five, yeah. I, I mean, he, he kind of played that down. because He said he had a lot of experience in spring training. But, yeah, I, I think there's a difference between playing a game in spring training when you're facing guys who are number 97 and 93 as opposed to playing, you know, even minor league baseball and then up to the major leagues. It's uh, the same route that uh, Gordon Beckham took in '09, where he started as a third baseman and ended up becoming a second baseman full time. Yeah, he, he looks like you know, he could stick at that position, frankly, or –
0: you know, if he if he does go back to short, obviously there's a potential opening there in the off season. But I mean, do you get the sense that, that this guy is a, a 2016 starter? Is it too late to, or too early? I'm sorry to pencil him into that
1: kind of role, or what do you think uh, the future has in store for him? Well, it's kind of interesting when I talked to him yesterday, and that you know he's pretty much just focused on team things. You know, not worried about individual stuff. But he did mention right out of the bat when I said excuse me, where I said that, um, you know, do you see himself as a third base of the future or shortstop? And he kind of, you know, brightened up a little bit and said, oh yeah, he loves playing shortstop. So I, I think that could be a future spot for him. Now I don't think for a long-term spot because Tim Anderson is not far away and they may actually give Tim Anderson a chance to win the job out of camp for all we know next year. Or they may look at Alexi and say it's worth one more year to bring him back. But, I think he's proven that he can play every day. Now, I'm not sure what you're going to get out of him as a hitter every day. Is it a 250 guy, a 280 guy? And you know how they talk about the corners. You need a little more power out of. Well, I guess that depends what you have the rest of the position. You know, it's, it's kind of a situation like uh, in a little different way with Tyler Flowers and that I think Tyler's offensive struggles are pointed up because the rest of the team has not hit as they thought they would this year. But... If everyone else is hitting, you could take his average. It's a little bit low because he handles the pay. I mean, Chris Sale raves about him every start that he makes, and there's not a better authority, you know, than that on the White Sox staff there. So back to Sale, you know, I, I think he's in the mix. There's no question. I, I, he's a guy Robin liked. He's a guy Robin personally asked to have called up to big league camp. I want to say three or four years ago. He then went through an off season and he had a, an off season as in a poor season. Had the Tommy John surgery, and he's come back and is really. Really done a great job. Nothing against Connor Gillespie, who you know we're in. An- I'm in Anaheim right now. And the Sox are facing this week, but he just wasn't getting it done defensively. And if nothing else, whatever Tyler gives you offensively, Tyler catches the ball over at third base and makes the plays. One guy, another guy. I guess we could see in 2016 is uh,
0: this year's number one draft pick, Carson Fulmer, just because this is the White Sox. They have moved up guys, uh, Chris Sale and Carlos Rodon, quite quickly in the past. Maybe that's uh, in the cards for Fulmer, maybe not, but he's had a nice transition to pro ball, it looks like, from the numbers. And uh, as you point out in the story, Merck, he's got a nice relationship with David Price as well, which is a pretty good uh, uh, Vanderbilt tie there. Uh, he, Mr. Price taking time out from uh, the, the Blue Jays' uh, potential run up, up the ALE standings and
1: uh, giving, giving Fulmer some, some advice uh, where he can be helpful. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool that Carson told me that Price still talk, you know, not still talks to him, but like has time during the season when he's going through the, the trade deadline stuff where he knew he was going to get moved and he was, right. you know, now with the Blue Jays. And he still takes time to reach out to him and talk to that, him. That says a lot about David Price, too, I think, the, the quality guy. Yeah, and that's why David Price is going to make, make uh, you know, our kind of money next year, Anthony, when he hits the oh, uh, yeah. free agent market. And he, and besides the fact market. that he's amazingly talented. But there seems to be a really solid baseball culture at Vanderbilt where it's, you know, it, it's, it's, not done when you leave, and Carson said he intends to kind of give back the way David Price has, and you know Sonny Gray, and I believe Pedro Alvarez is a Vanderbilt kid too. So, but it's a really special connection with him and Price, and you know really a friendship that has developed over the last you know three years since Carson's been there, and then on to the Pro ball this year. And yeah, I, I think Carson's got a shot. You know, look at what they did with Rodon this year. It's, it's basically the same exact path. You know, you you might I, I don't think Carson's going to throw as much because he threw more innings in college than Carlos did. But, you know, I would not be surprised to see him possibly start next year, you know, some token starts in Charlotte, and then maybe by the end of April get a chance in the big leagues. He's that close. And, you know, it, it's also interesting to hear him talk about how much college made a difference in his life and how, you know, he could have gone out of high school and he just felt like he wasn't ready. You know, the, they, he was offered money. I think he was a 15-drop pick, and he just wasn't ready. And he said college really made a difference. You talk to guys in the White Sox, about that, you know, you you learn to travel, you learn being away from home, and it's not life is not as big adjustment to go along with the baseball adjustment you have to make. And I'm not saying every draft pick should go to college, but you know, I think it, it really does benefit these kids, and they get to the majors quicker, and they're probably ready quicker. Although Rodon has gone through his kind of growing pains this year, but they're ready to go quicker because of that experience. I forget, Mark, did you go to college? I did. I went to a little school. Uh, just in, the, in Michigan, in Ann Arbor, called the University of Michigan. Uh, Jim Harbaugh oh, is there now. Oh, team won support. the national title in 1989, I believe. Oh, you should try to bring that up more often. I never knew you went there. there. <laughs> uh, I want to thank yeah, Scott Zach, Merkin. Jack Putnam also went to Michigan, who pitches for the White Sox. Oh,
0: there you go. Uh, I want to thank uh, Michigan apologist and White Sox reporter Scott Merkin for joining us. And thank you all for tuning in. This has been MLB.com Extras, Chicago White Sox edition.